Welcome to Chasing Dramas. This is the podcast that discusses Chinese history and culture through Chinese TV dramas. My name is Karen. And this is Kathy. Today, we are going to be talking about episode 39 and 40 of Hou Gong Jin Huan Zhuan, Empresses in the Palace. In the last two episodes, Hua Fei, the famous Hua Fei, is desperately trying to stay in favor, even sending her maid to become a concubine. But does it work? Let's find out. The Empresses in the Palace drama is currently available on YouTube if you would like to rewatch or follow along. If you're new to the podcast, please start with our intro to the podcast and intro to the drama episodes. If you have any comments or questions, please feel free to email us at chasingdramaspodcast at gmail.com, share this podcast with your friends, and let's get started. We combined episode 39 and 40 together, even though there's a lot going on because I feel like it flows pretty well together. And generally when you're watching it, you're like, oh, I just saw 39. I ought to see what happened in episode 40. Episode 39 starts off with the Emperor Yongzheng meeting with some of his court ministers, including Jin Huan's father. The Emperor is contemplating what to do about his brothers, the 8th Prince Yun Si and the 9th Prince Yun Tang, both of whom we talked about in the last episode. These two brothers schemed against the Emperor for the throne and are now imprisoned. Huafei's brother, the mighty general Nian Gong Yao, sent a memo recommending clemency and forgiveness towards these two brothers, which is not what the emperor wants to hear. In the previous episodes, we've learned that the general Nian Gong Yao has developed close ties with the emperor's 10th brother, Dun Qin Wang, who in history was also close to the 8th and 9th prince as well. The emperor comes to the conclusion that in order to destroy Nian Gong Yao and his faction, he needs to also deal with his brother, the 10th prince. At the end of the meeting, the emperor makes a curious comment. He says, It hasn't been calm in the imperial harem. The ladies are constantly squabbling with one another. Once I resolve the issues in the imperial harem, I'll deal with the matters in court. That's odd. He doesn't talk much about the imperial harem to his court ministers. And some of the court ministers actually caught on to this. So what does the emperor have in mind? Jin Huan starts by saying, Oh, my dear sister, the emperor didn't comment on the fruit. You need to be more observant. She continues to escalate her insults. This one is pretty good. Jin Huan says, There's a common phrase, Industrious people don't age. That must be true for you. She's talking about Song Zhi. But you are also very astute. That's why you came into favor with Hua Fei. She must like you so much, which is why she recommended you to the emperor. I must commend you. Even I can't do that. This is Jin Huan on the offensive. She just mocked Song Zhi on her low background and low birth and her ability to please other people, which is not exactly a good thing. Poor Song Zhi is completely at a loss at how to respond. At this point, though, Hua Fei steps in because she knows that Jin Huan insulted Song Zhi and is out of line. So she says, the emperor, are you not going to say anything? The emperor, interestingly, throws the question to the empress, Huang Hou. He says, what do you think? The empress merely says, it must be due to the drinks that Jin Huan would say such things today. I will take measures after the festivities. Pretty reasonable, right? Nope. This is not your ordinary banquet. The emperor's face turns sour and he slams the table. Everyone is freaking out. 
Is this how you govern the Imperial harem? No wonder why it's always so chaotic, he shouts. Everyone is scared and stunned to see the Emperor so angry, and they all immediately kneel, with the Empress begging for forgiveness. The Emperor Huangshang chides the Empress Huang Hou for her lack of leadership and ability to quell squabbles in the Imperial harem. He then turns his attention towards Jin Huan. He reprimands Jin Huan for her uh, jealousy towards Song Zhi, because this is not how concubines should behave in his harem. In a surprising move, he literally just says, Go. Which means that he is banishing Jin Huan to a place called Peng Lai Zhou. What is that? It is a desolate island in the middle of the lake at the Summer Palace. Two concubines make a plea on behalf of Jin Huan. One is An Lingrong, the other is Jing Fei. Jing Fei actually, I think, does want to help, whereas I think An Lingrong just is doing it for show. The emperor is not moved by anyone's pleas, so he has his eunuch, Su Peisheng, remove Jin Huan from the banquet. This is pretty insulting and like a very big punishment. Hua Fei, though, on the other hand, is just smirking on the side, enjoying the view. That was quite an action-packed banquet. Since we have been privy to the Emperor and Jin Huan's conversations, we know that this was all for show. You'll notice that Jin Huan, who hasn't really worn bright lipstick before, this is quite interesting, is now wearing it, which is, I think, an attempt to make herself stand out in the crowd. That's why I love this drama. The, the subtle changes in makeup really showcased uh, something different about each character. Chen Huan, who is known for her mild temper, behaves in an incredibly rude manner towards Song Zhu. Why? So that the emperor can have an excuse to banish her. This entire evening was for Hua Fei to see. The emperor needs Hua Fei, and by extension her brother, to lower their guard. With Jin Huan banished, Hua Fei will believe she has all of the favor and glory again in the imperial harem. She will continue to accept bribes, spend money, etc. With her and her brother's guard down, the emperor can continue to gather evidence against them and once and for all remove them. I personally love the stagings and cuts for this scene. Yes, the emperor's angry, but there's a ton of focus on other people's faces here, especially the empress. She has no idea what is happening. No one else does. Ada Choi, the actress for the Empress, does an amazing job showing us, the audience, how she is processing all of this information. She sees and listens but doesn't react, or reacts in accordance to how she should react, like kneeling when, when the Emperor throws a tantrum. When Jin Huan is led away by the eunuch, the Empress is contemplating these turn of events with a furrowed brow. That's all she shows. Compare the Empress's reaction to that of Hua Fei's. Hua Fei is over there smirking and feeling belated at the turn of events. Honey, Hua Fei, you have no idea what will happen to you. Let's continue on that thread of the Empress. Later that evening, she summons An Lingrong to her quarters. She shares her suspicions about everyone's actions earlier that evening. She can't quite put her finger on it, but she knows she cannot have Hua Fei back in power again. With Jin Huan banished, Hua Fei will have no competition, and she will be a legitimate threat to her own position as Empress. Remember, at this point, Nian Gongyao is still in power. The Empress needs to devise another plan. So what does she do? She orders An Lingrong to join Jin Huan in her banishment. Why? It's twofold. One, 
Huafei will just find ways to insult Anlinrong, which doesn't help anyone. She can't do anything, so or she can't help the empress, so that's not useful to anybody. And number two, if Jin Huan comes back to favor, Anlinrong can say and play up their relationship in the future and gain a lot of brownie points with the emperor. Anlinrong at first is not happy with the plan, but acquiesces only after she gets confirmation from the empress that if Jin Huan is truly banished, the empress will summon her back to the imperial harem. Here, I am just very impressed with the empress's intuition. At the end of the conversation, the empress says, I just have a feeling that it is better for you to be with Jin Huan. The empress has no idea that the entire evening was just for show, but she knows something is up and acts accordingly. Again, what a woman. That's why she is the empress. She is so intelligent. It looks like... Jin Huan's banishment has achieved its purpose because Huafei is in her palace gloating at the turn of events. Cao Guiren and Song Zhi are both there. Let's remind everyone that Cao Guiren was originally team Huafei, but now she's actually team Jin Huan. She's uh, playing the double agent right here. Cao Guiren applauds Huafei for the turn of events, but she cleverly pushes Song Zhi into some hot water by saying, You know... I hope Songju can birth a child soon. That way, she'll be like me, a noble lady. Huafei's eyes immediately turn into, you know, slits because she's angry. With one phrase, Cao Guiren is able to incite jealousy between Huafei and Songju. Well, Songju is just doing Huafei's bidding. But nice job, Cao Guiren. Again, Cao Guiren is much smarter than Huafei. Here's some analysis, though. There is absolutely no way Song Zhi can get pregnant because she's been in Huafei's palace for so long. Smelling the perfume fragrance Huan Yixiang that has musk in it, which, according to the drama, damages your reproductive capabilities. I think this is also why Huang Xiang is fine favoring Song Zhi because he knows she can't get pregnant. If she were to get pregnant, I can imagine that Huafei would take that child, leverage it as her own, and basically we would have the same situation. I also want to point out that in the previous episode, it was Cao Guiren who advised Huafei to tell her brother that the response to the emperor's question about what to do with his brothers should be to focus on camaraderie and clemency. I feel like Cao Guiren knows this is not what the emperor wants to hear, but is pushing Huafei and Nian Gongyao into making a mistake. We can't be completely sure though, because I can't imagine that Nian Gongyao doesn't have other people vetting this answer. Like, why would they just take Tagarin's suggestion and run with it? But I can still hypothesize that Tagarin is pushing them in this way in order to, because she knows the answer is wrong. In any case, Jin Huan's crew arrives at the island, and back in her own palace, the Empress is busy trying to maintain balance in the Imperial harem. But Huafei is back to her old self. Huafei goes so far as to not even go to greetings anymore, which is incredibly disrespectful. The Empress is livid, but she's powerless to do anything right now. It's been about a month or two. Fall is right around the corner. Shimeizhuang finally hears about Jin Huan's predicament, and her maid asks if they should send anything over. Shimeizhuang quickly shuts her down. She says, Jin Huan used to have everything. What do we have to send her? 
Uh, it looks like their friendship is over. <laughs> but in the next scene, uh, we see that that's not the case. The Emperor's head eunuch, Su Peisheng, arrives onto the island to visit Jin Huan, bringing some fall clothes and food from Shen Meizhuang. Shen Meizhuang truly is all talk. She really does care about Jin Huan. The eunuch, Su Peisheng, doesn't tarry for long, but does give Jin Huan some critical pieces of information. The Emperor will return to the Forbidden Palace the next day. Remember, they have been at the Summer Palace, as is custom for the summer. The Emperor was worried that Jin Huan will get caught in the firestorm, which is why she was sent to the island. This confirms again to us, the audience, that both the Emperor and Jin Huan knew the banishment was just a farce. Unfortunately, An Lingrong, who is hiding behind some rocks, also overhears this information. Back at the Imperial Palace, the 17th prince, Guo Junwang, who we haven't seen in a while, rushes in with a secret memo. The 10th prince is trying to persuade Niang Geng Yao to join him in a coup to depose the emperor Yongzheng and install the currently imprisoned 8th prince as the emperor. With this information and this evidence, the emperor can now act against the 10th prince. He orders his assassins and generals to surround the 10th prince's residence. The Empress Dowager, who is unwell, will request the company of the 10th Prince's wife and son. His daughter is already with the Empress Dowager. If you can tell, this is to hold the 10th Prince's family hostage so that the 10th Prince can't do anything crazy. Later that evening, the 17th Prince delivers the good news to the Emperor. The 10th Prince, Dun Qingwang, has been captured. With him captured, it's only a matter of time before Nian Geng Yao and his faction fails. Another really important line that the 17th Prince delivers in this uh, scene is how he says, Please, brother, don't make me do such uh, interesting things again. The 17th Prince is really smart. He is trying to play down his capabilities in order to not raise the suspicion of the Emperor of his actual strengths. Because as you can see here, the Emperor is not above imprisoning or killing his brothers and the 17th prince sees that and knows that he doesn't want to get in the crossfire for anything he just wants to stay safe and stay away from uh, problems with the emperor at the island jin huan spots a small boat with imperial guards heading towards them she has no idea if the emperor succeeded or not so she's prepared with a small dagger if the emperor failed in stopping the coup She'll follow him into the next world. Luckily, it doesn't get to that point. The eunuch delivers the good news that the emperor has succeeded. Jin Huan is welcomed back to the imperial harem, and yay, Jin Huan is absolutely relieved. I don't really understand why that scene was so tense. Like, I don't really fully understand why she needed that dagger. Like, I think they're just adding a little bit of drama to the to the show, a little bit of drama to the drama. I feel like it was a little bit unnecessary. Once Jin Huan is safely back at the Imperial Harem, the Emperor visits her to share the good news of his successful capture of the 10th Prince and his punishment for the 8th and 9th Prince. We went over the fate of these two princes in the last episode. The 8th and 9th Prince are imprisoned in the Imperial Clan Court. Their names are also changed to A Tina and Sai Sehe, which in Manchu means dogs and pigs. Ugh, not very fun. The timing of these punishments are a little bit off. In history, the 10th prince was stripped of his titles in 1724, 
while the 8th and 9th prince were imprisoned in 1726. Right now, during this drama, it's around, it's around 1724 or 1725. Also to mention, the name changes for Atina and Saisehe for the 8th and 9th prince are also uh, real in history. They did have those names changed. Anlingrong returns to the imperial court and pays a visit to the empress. Once again, let's take a moment to applaud the empress and her intuition. She knew there was something off with Jinhuan's banishment. She had a hunch that it would be better to send Anlingrong off with Jinhuan, and she was right. The emperor now remembers Anlingrong for her devotion to her dear sister Jinhuan. We as the audience learn that the empress needs Anlingrong to be her eyes and ears. She cannot allow Jinhuan to become the next Huafei. Well, how can she continue to build her faction? Why, more women, of course. The episode ends with the Empress discussing, well, demanding for Jinhuan to be okay with new ladies entering the Imperial Harem. The Emperor doesn't want to do a court selection, so the Empress basically decided to select a few women from families who were helpful in resolving this coup. Once again, the court selection happens every three years, and that is how Jinhuan, Anlingrong, and Shemijong first entered the palace. Episode 40 continues with the consequences of the attempted coup by the 10th prince. The 10th prince and his family are, are not going to be killed, but will be reduced to regular citizens or demoted to regular citizens. No longer related to the royal family, they are stripped of every title they have. Jinhuan is a little sad for the wife and kids, but there's not much she can do or anyone can do. As they are having this discussion, a docket from Niangangyao arrives. What happens here is actually based on historical fact. The dockets contain pleasant trees for the emperor because astrologists saw fortunate signs in the heavens, which I guess represent good things for the empire. So obviously, all of the officials and ministers are kissing the emperor's butt and saying nice things. This is actually true. However, Niangangyao's greeting changed the order of meeting for a, a phrase which severely angered the emperor. And this also is based on historical fact. We generally save this analysis for the end of the episode, but we have to discuss it now so that it makes sense for why the emperor was so angry. So the original phrase reads, Zhao Tian Xi Ti, but Niangangyao wrote it instead, Xi Ti Zhao Qian, essentially. The first two words were flipped with the last two words. On the face of this, doesn't seem like the biggest deal. Perhaps Niangangyao made a simple mistake. However, the emperor does not take it that way and gets incredibly angry. What's going on? I didn't get this first, so it took some uh, research to fully understand what's going on here. The original phrase, Zhao Tian Xi Ti, originates from Zhou Yi or Yi Jing, which is the Book of Changes, and is a book on divination and also the oldest of Chinese classics. The words essentially mean that during the day, you work really hard. At night, you reflect and be thoughtful of what happened during the day. The original text is to essentially revere the emperor. By flipping the words, the meanings change. It means that the emperor is not worthy of the reverence or respect or thoughtfulness of someone during the day. This is why this pisses off the emperor so much, because Niangangyao is basically stating that the emperor is not to be respected. 
Nian Geng Yao does not deign to give the original phrase to the emperor. This is the straw that breaks the camel's back and truly angers the emperor. The docket is sent back to Nian Geng Yao without any response. I also want to say that even though we didn't, I don't really think we talked about this before, Nian Geng Yao here in this drama is portrayed as a military general. In Chinese culture or history, you have a clear divide between people who are, who are the uh, military folks versus the civil servants, the people who came up through the imperial entrance exams. Nian Geng Yao in history actually was very educated and went through the imperial entrance exams to become a civil servant. He first started off as a civil servant, so he was very educated. That's why the emperor cannot believe that Nian Geng Yao made this mistake. He, Nian Geng Yao is supposed to be very thoughtful and very educated in these types of texts. So for him to make this mistake or to flip these words is indeed a, uh, a point of disrespect. I've read some research articles as well, though, that they're saying this was just the emperor in history, at least the, in history, that the emperor was very, uh, was more just like picking at straws, just like finding something that will, that annoys him. Like this really doesn't mean a whole lot, but the emperor really is annoyed at Nian Geng Yao and wants to get rid of him. So this, uh, this was delivered to him on a platter. Huafei hears this news that Nian Geng Yao sent the docket with the phrase written incorrectly. Initially, she's like, oh, it's not a big deal. It's an honest mistake. But upon hearing that the docket was sent back without any response, Huafei then recognizes the severity of the situation. This is also another prime example of the difference between Huafei and Jin Huan's intelligence, or at least education. Jin Huan was the one to first see the language on the docket or in the docket. She immediately recognized that there was something wrong and said she didn't want the emperor to see the language because she knew it was disrespectful and will make the emperor angry. So she didn't even dare utter those words. Huafei, on the other hand, doesn't really see anything wrong with it. She only recognizes that something is wrong when the docket is returned. She doesn't realize the intricacies in just what the meaning is. In court, many ministers and court officials are discussing or presenting all of Nian Geng Yao's faults. The emperor decrees that anyone um, who is a part of Nian Geng Yao's group will be severely punished. Nian Geng Yao sends over documents to justify himself, but it just makes the emperor even more angry because Nian Geng Yao right now is just writing all of his accomplishments. He's gloating. These accomplishments are to suggest that without him, the emperor cannot survive, or even the empire cannot survive. As a result, the emperor demotes Nian Geng Yao to a lowly position. Huafei is very upset at hearing this news and tries to see the emperor, but the emperor ignores her in favor of, surprisingly, Ai Lingrong. Oh, how the tides have turned. Huafei's family is now in deep trouble. And I guess, uh... Going into banishment with Jin Huan helped because look where An Lingrong is right now with the emperor. With the court moving against Nian Geng Yao, the next stop is to get rid of Huafei in the imperial harem. The news has spread of Nian Geng Yao's demotion, which is being discussed during a court greeting at the empress's palace. Cao Guiren takes this opportunity to betray Huafei. She confesses all of the horrible things Huafei has done that she, Cao Guiren, is aware of, which includes killing 
the concubine noble lady Trenguiren, who discovered Huafei taking money from people, trying to buy ministerial positions in court. All of the ladies in the imperial harem are shocked at hearing these dirty deeds being exposed. The empress summons Huafei to her palace. When Huafei arrives, Huafei actually kicks and hits Taoguren for betraying her. The best thing, though, is that the empress is really smart and exclaims, Look, Huafei and Taoguren are incredibly close, so everything Taoguren has said must be true. At this point, it's pretty sad for Huafei. Everything is being exposed, and no one is doing anything to protect or stand up for Huafei. It just shows how many people she's pissed off, neglected, or hurt over the years. The Empress orders all of the servants in Huafei's palace to be interrogated, which probably means tortured. Her brother is also now demoted to a guard in Hangzhou's city gate. His and his children's titles are stripped as well, so everything is just going very, very poorly for Huafei and her family. After days of interrogation, the Empress is in the Imperial Harem with the Empress and the rest of the ladies to discuss the results of the interrogation. The servants have confessed to a lot of things, from pushing Shimeizhuang into the water to try to kill her, to Shimeizhuang's fake pregnancy scandal, to giving her plague-infested dishware to try to kill her, to buying ministerial positions at court, to hurting Princess Wenyi to try to hurt um, or try to frame this on Jinhuan, to poisoning Jinhuan and many others. Can we just kind of go back? Wow, all this happened in the past 40 episodes. Honestly, it's been so many episodes that I can't remember everything, but this is a pretty good list. The emperor does not seem too surprised. He is upset, but seems actually pretty calm in the face of everything. He orders that everyone who was close to Huafei to be beaten to death. So every single eunuch made everyone. Huafei is to be demoted to a second-class female attendant and removed of her title. She is now to be known as Nian Daying. The emperor agrees on some other matters as well. They will have another Manchu lady come into the palace to serve the emperor as a noble lady, since right now uh, Nian Daying is now just a Daying. This new woman will come from a family that helped bring down Nian Geng Yao. Song Zhi, Nian Daying's former maid turned concubine, will now be a maid again. I'm surprised she's not beaten to death, but there you have it, showing some mercy. Well, she was also a woman of the emperor, so I guess trying to not make it too gruesome. I love this next part. The dumb Chifei. So if you recall, she is a consort in the Imperial Harem. She's really, she's dumb, uh, but she has the third prince, the, the eldest son. She chimes in at this point that Cao Guren was also very close to Nian Daying, obviously trying to get Cao Guren to be punished as well. But Cao Guren tearfully responds that she had to keep her mouth shut and do Nian Daying's bidding because Nian Daying at the time was incredibly powerful. If Cao Guren didn't help Nian Daying, her daughter would not be protected. Who knows what would have happened to her and her daughter? It's hilarious because Tifei initially is looking all smug, trying to bring Cao Guren down. But the emperor is staring at Tifei like she's an idiot. He's honestly exasperated at her. And you should see the scenes. The scenes are really funny where they just like cut to him and her. Tifei knows she somehow annoyed the emperor. So she starts like looking down. She's like, oh, I made a mistake. 
I mean, Taogeren has a clear defense. It just makes everybody look bad if they punish Taogeren, a mother trying to protect her child, since everyone knows how difficult Huafei can be, or now Niandaing can be. Jin Huan comes to the rescue, which results in Taogeren not only avoiding punishment, but she is actually getting promoted to Pin or Imperial Concubine, and is given the title of Xiang. This promotion is the Emperor's gift of thanks for what Taogeren has done to expose. Tifei, who, like I said, was trying to punish Taogren, actually looks very disheartened and abashed now and shrinks in her chair. Like I said, what an idiot. <laughs> With that, the once powerful Huafei is no more than just a lowly Daying. Right now, Huafei is now just a Daying, a second class female attendant. Very low, but at least she's alive. Her brother right now is still alive too. But Yang Geng Yao cannot give up his fame or power. He continues to disrespect the emperor even as a gate guard. The emperor is livid that Yang Geng Yao wore his Hua Ma Gua, or yellow imperial jacket, while on duty. Traditionally, only precious few are allowed to wear a yellow imperial jacket. The emperor only gifts these to people for their civil or military merit. By wearing the jacket, Yang Geng Yao is trying to remind the people of Hangzhou of his past military glory and of how he helped stabilize the empire. Yang Geng Yao right now is trying to make the emperor seem ungrateful in the eyes of the people of Hangzhou. Well, these actions have angered the entire court as well as the emperor. This event doesn't happen in history, and the whole Huang Mao Gua or yellow imperial jacket may be an anachronism. There were no records of emperors gifting these Hua Ma Guar or yellow imperial jackets as rewards or for recognition until the 19th century. Right now we're in the 18th century. Before that, in the Qing dynasty, the only people who could wear these jackets were imperial guards, and only guards on active duty, like near the emperor. Um, the emperor might gift these jackets at a hunting party, but that was about it. Back to Niang Geng Yao and the court, the emperor says that the ministers have detailed 92 different instances where Niang Geng Yao and his faction were disrespectful, overstepped, or lied, etc. to the emperor. This actually is true uh, in history. These 92 different instances. As a result, the final punishment comes through for Niang Geng Yao. Niang Geng Yao is allowed to commit suicide. Wow, he's allowed to. His eldest son is to be beheaded. All male family members over the age of 15 are to be exiled. The year in history is 1726. The once powerful Niang Geng Yao, his family, and faction have been dismantled. A couple of things we didn't discuss in this episode. One is that Shen Meizhang and Jin Huan have made up and are close friends again. Both of them are still pretty upset that Nian Danying wasn't killed, just demoted, but there's not much they can do for now. We'll see what happens in the next episode. The other thing is that Jin Huan's father was promoted for helping get rid of Nian Geng Yao. Her mother was also allowed to come visit Jin Huan in the palace again, which is quite nice. After 40-some episodes, the powerful Nian Geng Yao and his sister Huafei are no longer. Let's look back at episode one. In the first couple of scenes introducing this drama, we saw Niang Geng Yao and another gentleman, Long Kuo walking out of the palace after court, 
Episode 1 showed us who the key players are in court and in the drama. Yan Gongyao has been defeated. Next up, we will have to see what happens to Long Keduo. Again, this is why this drama is great. The seeds are sown way back in the beginning of the drama, but you have to watch it multiple times to catch everything. And I'm also pretty impressed that they try to at least keep the timeline of what's happening in the drama relatively similar to what actually happens in real life or in, in history. Here, though, let's commend the emperor. It takes him only three years to dismantle Nian Yao's faction. For a general who was crucial to helping the emperor um, take the throne, three years is extremely fast. And again, just for the, for the episode, they kind of put all things together into these scenes. Again, stuff happens in 1725 and 1726. People's deaths kind of are different based on in reality, but they're all around the same time frame. That I want to share my own thoughts about these last two episodes, episodes 39 and 40. I personally particularly didn't like them too much in the sense that it was just all kind of talking. Like, we don't see anything happen. And I didn't like that. I guess it's because we're trying to see the show or the events happen through the eyes of the Imperial Harem. But I feel like it was just like a lot of words being talked about and nothing actually, no action actually happening. Karen, do you agree or disagree? I actually like these two episodes. You're like, finally, you see... The, uh, the results of years of plotting. Cao Guren finally um, turns or betrays Hua Fei. But yeah, so I mean, I, I like these two episodes. 30, episode 39, though, is a little bit like, yes, Hua Fei um, you know, has power. Jin Huan, Jin Huan was banished to Peng Lai Zhou, this island in the Summer Palace. But I think that episode, the, the weight of everything doesn't really hit as much because you're just like, she was banished, and then she suddenly comes back. It wasn't even that big of a deal, you know. You didn't, you didn't really see like what happened. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. For me, I, I was like, all this stuff happens in real life, and I feel like they kind of just talked about it. To me, that was. I guess that's true. I guess yeah. that's true. I mean, I can. I'm. I'm pretty sure that if there, I mean, there are there are dramas about Yang going out and his death. Like you can have full length dramas describing what happened. Um, at the end or his downfall whereas here we're just literally talking about it um and his his death and punishment just happened kind of willy-nilly you know through through context so i don't know i don't mind it as much as as you i guess um i i watched these couple of episodes quite a bit just to see like how far huafei has fallen well let us know your thoughts um about how you thought about these two episodes Thank you so much for joining us. Again, if you have any questions or comments, please email us at chasingdramaspodcast at gmail.com. We will catch you next time.